This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. It's not a very good morning, really, is it? It's a grim day for the world as Russia begins its invasion of Ukraine. We've seen evidence of convoys of troops and tanks entering the country from all directions. And stock markets across the world have seen steep falls. Oil has breached that $100 a barrel barrier. Gas prices, as we speak, are 30% higher. Russian stocks have plunged. The rubles hit record lows. Gold is 2% up. And this is just the beginning, isn't it, of what could seem months of uncertainty as we wait to see how bad the situation is going to get. It is all very grim, isn't it? It is. And it always feels strange talking about the markets in a moment like this. It always feels like it should be the last thing on your mind. Um, But the markets is where you see massive reactions for obvious reasons. And we look at... Europe today, like you say, down 3 or 4%. The US is a little bit behind. Oil prices through $100, not far from $105 in the case of Brent crude, up 7 or 8%. We're seeing a massive response to what's happening in the markets. And I know that we've talked for weeks now about the prospect of this happening. But I think there's always been a hope in the background that diplomacy will win the day. Everything that had happened up until now was done to create urgency to find a diplomatic solution. But quite clearly, that's not the case. And now that the situation has boiled over, now that troops have crossed the border and we are seeing all of these terrible reports that we are now seeing over the course of the morning, it's taken a heavy toll on what we are now seeing in the financial markets. And like you say, it's a case of where do you start? It's so widespread. Russian markets, for example, at times today have been down 40 45%. The ruble fell heavily earlier on in the day. It's Both have recovered quite a bit since, uh, which has prompted speculation uh, and reports of central bank intervention. We know that the central bank has massive reserves prepared for this kind of situation which just again adds to the theory that this has been long planned. This has been long in the making. And and so we are seeing those moves being defended and could continue to see that happen. It's an extraordinary day that's been reflected by the extraordinary moves that we are seeing across financial markets. It is ironic, isn't it, that we've lived through two years of COVID and on the very day that all COVID restrictions have ended here in the UK, this has really started in earnest. And markets are reflecting that. The question is, what can the West do about it? Obviously, sanctions have been put in place already. That is one of the reasons why the stock market in Russia has plunged. The ruble has hit record lows. But is it going to have any effect economically, a big enough effect economically, to actually change Vladimir Putin's view, his worldview of what he really wants? I doubt it very much. We're dealing with a man who perhaps always knew this was going to happen, regardless of what we did here in the West. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is concerned about the consequences of these actions. Uh, You can see from the interview he gave, the words were very forceful, um, very angry, um, warning that if anyone intervenes, there will be consequences like we've never seen before. Like I say, this isn't the language of someone who's concerned about sanctions. And I think it's worth noting the sanctions that we've seen so far were the effectively the warning shot of what's to come. So I would expect over the course of the next 24 hours or so, there's going to be far more severe sanctions coming uh, from 
Europe, from the US, etc., uh, in response to the actions that have been taken by the Russian government over the course of the last 24 hours. And then we start to question how severe they will be, what kind of toll are they going to take, and are they going to act as a as enough of a deterrent? Because as we've just alluded to, how do you deter someone with economic sanctions that clearly has no concern for the economy? Vladimir Putin is acting like someone who's far more concerned about his legacy on the geopolitical stage than he is about anything else. Therefore, that makes this deeply, deeply concerning. So as a result, what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot more turbulence in the markets. We're going to see a lot more turmoil. Really, ultimately, what this comes back to is we've just got to hope uh, that events in Ukraine don't get much worse because the images, the videos, the reports coming from there this morning, as I say, are deeply concerning, which is why we are seeing such a negative response in the markets, which will continue if this situation unfortunately, continues to deteriorate. As I mentioned earlier, stock markets getting hit heavily, oil markets rising quite aggressively. And again, this brings us back to areas that seem secondary right now, but these are the consequences of this type of action. Oil prices rising very aggressively. That's going to cause further economic pain for the rest of the world. If this continues and we see oil approaching $120, $130 a barrel, then there will be talk of the possible recessionary consequences globally or something like this. The impact on gas prices, for example, could become far more severe. We're seeing a lot more flows towards gold, which is a safe haven inflation hedge in times of crisis. And this is very much a crisis right now. So we could be looking at gold moving through $2,000 a level, moving to kind of record high levels in these very unusual times. I mean, you can even look back at something like Bitcoin. It's off 7% at, the, at this moment in time. The kind of ultimate risk asset is, is really struggling. And the interesting thing is we look at something like treasuries, bonds, other safe havens, but other things that have been rising recently, anticipation of central banks raising interest rates to deal with inflation in a manner that is perceived to be slightly draining for the economy, but not enough to tip the economy into something far worse. Central banks' jobs could be about to get much, much harder because they may be inflation and a potential inflationary, uh, recessionary environment. And we're actually seeing safe haven flows move into bonds, yields pairing back, and maybe that will lead to an expectation that banks will continue to raise rates, but more, less aggressively than previously anticipated, because they are trying to think of the economic consequences on top of the inflationary consequences, which, as I say, is no easy job. I know it's difficult to talk about these things when people's lives are at risk here, but when you look at where we think interest rates were going to go this time last week and where people are suggesting they're going to go now, those interest rates can't be raised so aggressively as a weapon against inflation, despite the fact that we're going to see a rise in inflation because of rising energy prices, because it will tip the global economy into a massive recession if we do. What are markets predicting now? As I said, this time last week, we were talking about in the United States, six, seven interest rate rises You know, in the next year alone. What are they saying now? So the rates markets are still pricing in quite a lot uh, from central banks. It has paired back slightly, I think. But from the Bank of England's perspective, five more rate hikes are still priced in this year on top of the one we've already had in the US. Five or six rate hikes are priced in still this year. So there is still quite a lot currently priced in. But that may change as the situation continues to evolve and as people continue to make a picture of how this looks. 
like I said earlier on in the podcast, from a markets perspective, purely a markets perspective, one of the more difficult things is trying to determine what all of this means. How far is this going to escalate? How high are oil prices going to get? At the moment, they've risen 8% today. They're above $100 a barrel. That's a very different scenario to $120, $130 a barrel. We could see that have massive consequences right throughout the markets if the situation deteriorates as many people now fear. This is an ever-evolving situation right now, uh, which is why these markets are so volatile as people try to get to grips with firstly what's happening, but also then what the consequences are going to be for the global economy and the financial markets as a result. I've been reading, Craig, that the EU seems to be unlikely at this stage to take steps to cut Russia off the SWIFT global interbank payment system as it works on a, a package of sanctions. We've been on the back foot in recent weeks with Russia. Should things be more aggressive in terms of those sanctions? Because if you do cut them off from SWIFT, it would affect them markedly and it would be a threat for them, surely financially. So I think SWIFT is an option of last resort. We've got to remember that that would have really severe consequences uh, for the Russian economy. And there's almost no going back from that. I think there's a package of sanctions, multiple packages of sanctions that can happen in between what's already been announced and something as severe as SWIFT that the West will be hoping will bring Russia back to the negotiating table. Much in the same way, for example, that you could argue, well, shouldn't Europe be cutting off Russian gas altogether and saying we're not going to buy any more of this from you and completely destroy that part of their economy? Couldn't other countries do the same, for example, with Russian oil? But again, this is something that would cause extreme harm to yourself in order to cause extreme harm to Russia. That's something that's always going to be on the table. I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be explored in the near term. I think SWIFT is an option that's kind of aligned towards that probably will come sooner than an extreme response like that. And the same comes from Russia. Ultimately, what this comes down to is the West has thrown out some sanctions as a warning shot in the last couple of days to Russia, and Russia has battered it aside. It's quite clear now that there's been a dramatic escalation, that we need to see far more severe sanctions now from the West, far more um, far more painful sanctions that's going to have a massive impact both on the economy, but also on Vladimir Putin and those closest to him to ramp up the pressure to try and draw them back to the negotiating table. The only sanctions that you can really see from the last 48 hours that maybe had any teeth was the blocking of Nord Stream 2, because we know how important that is to Russia and how important it was in terms of even deepening its ties further with uh, the European gas markets. So by blocking the certification of that, that was something that had some teeth. But even that wasn't expected to be approved over the course of the next few months anyway. So we need to see something far more severe now. We need to see something that's going to have far more deeper consequences for Vladimir Putin if we are going to see any sign of positive progress. Craig, here in the UK, we're much less reliant on Russian oil and gas. But of course, uh, Europe is fed on the stuff. Uh, Yes, Nord Stream 2 has been postponed, if not uh, written off altogether. Surely Europe and the world have got to learn to live without Russian gas and oil. We've become so reliant on it. Surely it's now time to look for alternative methods of energy. 
So you say that the UK is less exposed to Russian oil and gas, but what we are exposed to is the market. And if you cut off a massive source of both, then the market prices are going to move, which is going to have consequences for everyone. From that perspective, there is a knock-on effect in terms of what the UK will ultimately have to pay and the cost that that will bear. Yes, I think it's quite clear that Europe has to become less reliant on Russian oil and gas in the future. And that's something that the US has been pushing for. And it's something that Nord Stream 2 would have effectively very much gone against. I think everyone will agree that that is absolutely the long-term plan for Europe now and has to be the long-term plan for Europe right now. But unfortunately, that doesn't help us in the shorter term, which is why I alluded to earlier. Oil and gas could be potentially weaponized in this from a sanctions perspective or from Russia's perspective if they wanted to cause severe economic harm to Europe. But it's not really in anyone's best interest to do that. So this is another option of last resort. But in the longer term, Europe has to make itself less reliant on Russia because they've shown themselves uh, under Vladimir Putin to be an unreliable partner. When something like this can be weaponized, as it already is being to some extent, but as it already can be to a much greater extent, then you have to make yourself less vulnerable. And it's something that's been argued for years. Europe is very vulnerable to Russian aggression because of its reliance on the oil and gas industry. So I think that's something we're going to see. Already since we started recording the podcast, we can see that Brent crude has now gone above $105, up 9% on the day. This is something that is a massive area of vulnerability. And even in the absence of one side or the other weaponizing it uh, in order to try and gain an advantage over the other, just the act of uh, Russia entering into Ukraine, there is now a threat to supplies, both in terms of the risk premium of it being weaponized, but also of supplies coming from Russia being disrupted because of what we are already seeing. So now this massive area of vulnerability is something that's going to have to be addressed over the longer term. But unfortunately, there is absolutely nothing that Europe can do about that in the shorter term. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. No doubt we'll speak again very soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.